Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 5? And we've come to verse 25. Called in, called out, called up. One salvation, two resurrections. This is still continuing the discourse that Christ is having with Jewish leaders because he healed the man on the Sabbath. He has called God his father. He has made himself the son of God, the same essence as God. He has proclaimed himself to be God. To those Jewish leaders, he is guilty of the highest blasphemy. They are persecuting him until finally they will conspire with Romans and he will die on the cross. But not until he has completed what he came to do. To sum it up simply, he came to do the will of the Father. Now, He just said in verse 24 that to believe in him, to believe his word was to pass from death into life. Continuing now in verse 25, and I have about eight points that I want to make in these verses, but we start here. Truly, truly, amen, amen. Emphatic, you better hear this, is what God the Son is saying. I say to you that an hour is coming. That's future. Now is, that's present. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those having heard will live. So let's. Let's talk about what Christ has just said. He has just referenced the present tense, where he is there, that extends even to us now. And he references the future tense. He is speaking of those who are otherwise dead, but are made to live by the voice of of the Son of God by His voice. In the present tense, Christ has already begun the ministry of calling people from death to life. Previously in John 4, we saw the Samaritan woman, for example, and she was called out of death and into life. Then came all of those other Samaritans out to hear Christ And they proclaimed him for who he is. They were called out of death and into life. As he had said to Nicodemus in John 3, they were born anew from above. Only God can do this. That is to say, only God can give to us regeneration, rebirth, a spiritual resurrection. We're taught in the Bible that We are dead in trespass and sin. We have no hope without Christ. 
We are helpless and we can't even awaken ourselves from that spiritual death unless Christ calls us into it, the voice of the Son of God. So he first references here when it comes to the present tense, a spiritual resurrection, a rebirth, a regeneration. If you're here today and you are a believer in Christ, you are in Christ, then God has caused you to have been spiritually resurrected. That is, your deadness is gone and you are alive in Christ. And this, of course, has to be an initial experience. You won't, you won't, you won't find eternal life in the presence of the Son of God until you have the regeneration, the spiritual life. And those having heard will live. You see that a lot in uh, the Greek word, it's a, it is a word that speaks of those who's, who have ears to hear. That's how the revelation puts it. Those who have ears to hear, let him hear. In the last invitation in the Bible, in the Revelation 22, what, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Those of us who have been reborn, those of us who are in Christ, we are believers. We are believers because we were afforded ears to hear. Part of spiritual resurrection is an awareness that those who are dead spiritually do not have. This awareness of the voice of the Son of God, an awareness of the light that shines in the darkness and we are drawn to it by the great voice of the Son of God. Those having heard will live. His word is preserved by the Holy Spirit of God divinely, supernaturally, and all of the attempts that have been, now you know, I've been around the, I've been around the sun 70 times. I have seen in my lifetime unmitigated countless attempts to discredit and destroy the word of God. It never, it never works. History teaches us of multitudinous attempts prior to my life. All of those attempts that have been made, sometimes the greatest kings and kingdoms in the world have tried to silence God's people and his word and it never has worked. This will continue until the end of the age. And so here's what happens. The word of God is shared. The word of God is preached. It is testified to. It is handed out. It is in its written form and it is read by people. And the word of God always has an effect on people. It'll do one of two things. 
It will either deliver you or confirm you in your awful state. It will confirm God's call and election of you or it will confirm your reprobation, but it never leaves you the same way. The word of God. And then hear those whose ears are deaf and will not hear. They can't hear. They don't understand. They haven't been pricked in their hearts and in in their ears even. They don't understand the word of God. They can't hear it. It's confusion and foolishness to them. But oh, but those who have the spiritual resurrection have heard, have listened, have been drawn and have believed in the son of God. What happens? You're moved out of death and into life. That's what verse 24 just told us in this passage, in this general passage. Those having heard will live. For as the Father has life in himself, fourth thing to take note, so he also gave to the Son to have life in himself. How do you define life? A lot of ways to define life, I suppose. According to the definitions of man. But let's go back to John 1, if you'll remember. God, the Godhead, great God Almighty, is inexhaustible. We cannot, we cannot understand or fathom the existence of God, the person of God, unless he chooses to reveal himself in a way that we can understand. So what does he do? God accommodates himself to time and space, God the Son. And he makes everything apart from him. Nothing was made that has been made, John chapter 1. So he's the creator, the one who stands in their presence is the very one who called everything into existence. And so he calls time and space and material things into existence. They could not exist apart from him. They could not stand. They could not be sustained except for him. Colossians 1. So with this immense, incredible power by his word... He calls everything that we know, time and space, into existence. It was in him, it came from him. And so now he accommodates himself by a great condescension into time and space. And as he created, he fully was aware that one day he would even condescend to become a man. So, when he made everything, he came as the one who also contained within himself life. There would be no life except for Christ. The Father gave to the Son to have life in himself. Everyone saved or lost owes his existence to the Son of God. Therefore, he knew full well with his omniscience that as he created time and space, 
he would also bring forth life in a way that he had purposed, planned, and would perform according to his pleasure, his will. So the son has life in himself. You can't live without Christ because Christ created you. If there was no Christ, there wouldn't be a you. But as a Christian, I wouldn't have eternal life but for Christ. He brought not just life, but he brought everlasting life into the existence, the universe that he had just created. Christ speaking to the Jewish leaders. The son is the one who has life in himself. Everything has come from the power of Christ. He gave to the son to have life in himself. So two things. Number one, I can't have a physical existence without Christ having created me. And number two, I sure can't live forever. I can't have eternal life unless Christ grants it to me. And those two things are a reality of the Christ of God as we're taught, of course, in the Bible. Next, he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is son of man. All life came forth from him in its creation and your life and my life will be called before him at the end of all things. I have a particular appointment according to the word of God whereby I must be judged or, well, I must be judged by the Christ. The great truth is being in Christ, my judgment was passed to him on the cross. So I don't stand there in condemnation. I stand there in life, in absolute eternal life. God the Son has all authority given to him by the Father to execute judgment. So everyone is going to stand before him in judgment. It doesn't matter how long you've been dead. It doesn't matter whether or not you passed away in Christ or not in Christ. Everyone will be required to stand before him in judgment. In a sense, I already have at the cross and his righteousness has passed to me and my guilt was passed to him. And so in that sense, judgment has already been executed on me at the cross. But what about everybody else? Well, they're in a mess. To execute judgment because he is son of man. That's a messianic title, a term that is found in Daniel 7 as it refers to the Christ of God, the Messiah. When he stands as judgment, in judgment as a judge, 
and you stand before him when he is seated in judgment and you stand before him, you will stand before one who in all of creation is the only one uniquely qualified to judge you. If you stand before him at the great white throne at the last time, unsaved to be consigned to the lake of fire. Here's why. He's son of man. He's son of God and he's son of man. He's God man. He is the God man. No one else in all of creation in all of time. The father has sent forth his son. So when Christ is seated in judgment, he not only is seated in the perfection and omniscience of God, but he, stand, he sits there having also experienced the experiences of man. The Bible says that he was subjected to everything that we are subjected to, all kind of temptation, only he was without sin. Virgin born, blessed Christ of God. And so he's son of man. Therefore, he is qualified to sit in judgment of everybody. I lived as a, I've lived as a man. He lived as a man. I experienced temptation. He experienced temptation. But without sin. Nobody else can ever say that. Nobody. Nobody except the Christ of God. Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody else can say that. He has authority to execute judgment because he is son of man. He is Messiah. And Daniel, in a very general sense, talks about judgment. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming. Now we're shifted into the future. An hour is coming in which all in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. From the, from the lumps of clay buried beneath the surface in the dirt from the scattered ashes, from the grains and particles of those who died at sea, anywhere and everywhere that a human being has died, those pre-flood, those today, anywhere and everywhere where a person has died, that person will stand before Christ. Now there are two resurrections, and he's going to speak about that here. There's one salvation, there are two resurrections. There is a first resurrection and a second or a last resurrection, the second resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. That's what the revelator says in the revelation. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming. It's coming. There is a time. There is a date. It is circled on God's eternal calendar. There is a time coming. My call, now this is my belief, and I believe this is how the Bible teaches it. My call, if I'm dead, then I will be called up from among the dead. 
If I'm living, I will be caught up from among the living in rapture. Jesus was resurrected. Paul writes, he says, Jesus, then first fruits. Did you know that when Christ was resurrected, Matthew's gospel teaches us that after he was resurrected, others were resurrected. They're called the first fruits. It goes back to the Old Testament. When your crops begin to come in, you get the very first ones that you see. You take them and you make an offering in a special way. And the belief was, of course, in God that he would, by, by giving the first fruits, then he would guarantee a great harvest yet to follow. Christ, no wonder they stood there in the book of Acts and they watched him. The, the Greek word means he was lifted up in, in exaltation. He wasn't just defying gravity. He was lifted up. Psalm 68 seems to describe walls of chariots of angels that receive him. But then there were all of these others who were resurrected and apparently they are first fruits. The Bible doesn't say a lot about it. But it does say they were resurrected. It does say that there are first fruits. And then those who are his at his appearing. That's what the Bible says. So here are those. It seems to me that Jesus carries with him first fruits. And the Father, and the father will follow with a great harvest that belonged to Christ. Now... All of the tombs will hear his voice. Everybody. Let me tell you something. You may be here without Christ. You may leave here without Christ. You may be so irreparable and eternally lost that an angel from heaven couldn't help you. I don't know. God knows those things. Yes, I believe in divine election, but I don't know who they are. God does, and I just have to assume that everybody is, and I preach to everybody. Paul says... What I do, I do for the sake of the elect. You could parenthetically say, I don't know who they are, but I'm after them. So I don't know. You may be here and you're, you're such a reprobate. You just don't ever, you won't ever get it. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. In Christ or out of Christ, you will live forever in a body. You will either live in an exalted, glorified body outfitted for eternity in God's new heaven and new earth. Or you will be raised into corruption and into decay. And you will be given a body that is outfitted so that it can feel pain of death. It can feel pain of fire and torment. And it can feel pain of gnawing worms forever. The fire is never quenched. Christ, Gehenna, the lake of fire. Hell is, Gehenna is translated only twice. It's only used twice in the Greek New Testament. It's used first by Christ. Christ speaks of hell. Now, Hades is the abode world of the, the netherworld of the wicked dead. That's Hades. But that's not Gehenna. Hades will spew out its dead at the great white throne. This 
abode, this netherworld of the wicked dead, they will be spewed out and they will be spewed out in a horrible body that's outfitted for punishment forever. So, you'll, have a, you'll be in a body forever, one, one kind or the other. Because the Bible says that there are two resurrections. There's a resurrection to life and a resurrection to judgment, which is damnation, condemnation. All in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those having done good. Now we must race to the Greek text and let's look at it. It says, Here's what that means. First of all, poesentes. Now that's a different word from the word that describes going to evil is praxentes. All right, let's think about it. First word. Those who have excelled, who are born up into the accomplishing of good works. We're saved on two good works. I believe this with all of my heart. That in time and eternity, when God, when God determined my salvation, he also determined the resources and the outfitting of my life. And without me even realizing it, Christ in me would do things. But if, if I'm in Christ, it is, such a, it is such a natural part of my existence, then I don't go around thinking that I, I deserve a star here and a star there. I don't do that. I, that's not the way it is. Born up and being accomplished in my life is good. That's, that's just a natural byproduct of the resurrection <coughs> unto life. Now that's me. Now here's how the resurrection of life goes. It begins with Jesus. It continues with the first fruits. It continues with those who are his at the rapture of the church. Those who, who are his at his appearing. Those who believe in him at his appearing. Now the first resurrection continues from there because the two witnesses are resurrected in the, uh, in the tribulation. But it goes on from there because at the end of the tribulation, according to Daniel chapter 12, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints who are dead will then be resurrected. That's all part of the first resurrection. Now at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, the end of the thousand years, we're taught in the revelation that there's this brief skirmish at the end of the, and the final and the final separation is made and at the close of the millennial reign Christ sits up the great white throne and from his presence heaven and earth flies away Peter says the elements will melt with fervent heat it's too much for me to understand. I just know what it says. The first heaven and the first earth will pass away. And here's this great white throne. The saints 
have already been justified. Their judgment, a done deal with Christ on the cross. Faith in Christ, the call of God. But then here are all these other ones. Hades and the sea will give up the dead in them. And the books will be opened. The book, which is the book of life. Here's the deal. If one stands in judgment before the Son of Man, and his name is not in the book of life, which was taken care of before the foundation of the world, the Bible says, then he has to stand there in his good works, whatever he claims is works. And those things are trash. They're worthless. They're nothing. They do not stand. That's why we go on to the next one here. Those having borne up good, excelled in the acceptable. That's, that's, that's how those of us who are in Christ. Christ, does, this is just the natural process of living a Christian life. He's doing things through us and we don't even, you know, it's, it's not like we can just call on it and say, oh, oh, Holy Spirit, produce something good right quick. No, it's not that way at all. It's part of your spiritual life. Now, that's the resurrection of life. And Christ brings his rewards. But we all will agree, following the example of the 24 elders, to just cast those things at the foot of Christ because it never would have happened in our lives without him anyway. It was his work. It's a beautiful thing to think of heaven's worship. Well, okay, second one. And those, and I should have translated this a little bit better. And those having done evil. Now let me go back up here to the Greek, okay? One word to bear up an accomplishment for the good is one Greek word, poesentis. Let's see. Okay, here we go. Poesentis. Right there. The resurrection of life. And those, now, it's a different phrase. It goes like this. It goes, phala, praxentis. So it goes from, whoops, wrong one. I'll get my buttons right here in a minute. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Okay. That one, that, that one right there, and then this one. And what does that mean? It means those having practiced worthlessness. It's a different Greek word. You see, you see the different words? I should have translated it a little better. One is to have borne up in your life, thus to accomplish. The other, and that which is good, the other is to live a life that practices worthlessness. So the books are open. Let's go back to the books at the great white throne. Here's John Doe. There's all these books, man, all these, the, the times he did this, the time he did the bad stuff in there and things that he thought were good. Lord, I, I called on your name one time. I don't see you listed in the book of life here. 
Yeah, but I, I helped an old woman across the street. You did it for yourself. You didn't do it for the glory of God. You couldn't have because the spirit wasn't in you. All the stuff that you claim is good, you did it for yourself. And all you did was practice worthlessness. That's what the word means, evil or worthlessness. It was wood and hay and stuff. It was just trash. But you didn't have a foundation beneath it, which is Christ. And so, your name is not written in the book of life. Lake of fire. Lake of fire. In that nasty, wormy, smoky, sulfuric smelling body. You think of the worst thing that you can think of. Let me think of this. A zombie. The mummy. Frankenstein. You think of the most awful depiction of a horrible person still walking around living and it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It stinks. You go into outer darkness, which means you're blind. Chewed on by some sort of worm that is outfitted for eternity, I don't know. And the fire is never quenched. The agony never stops. Two resurrections. The resurrection of life. The resurrection of judgment. Thank God in heaven. He called me into salvation. Thus proving. That Christ. Suffered my judgment for me. On the cross. Then those who are left at the great white throne, lake of fire, lake of fire, lake of fire, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's how Christ described it. Screaming and crying forever. It's unimaginable. It's hard enough for me to think of living in a glorified body forever in the presence of my God and Savior. It's even more difficult for me to imagine those who are outfitted and then cast into the lake of fire. And so he says, those having practiced worthlessness to the resurrection of judgment. Christos. Critical crisis judgment. There is no other appeal. This is it. Cannot appeal beyond the great white throne. That's the final judgment. And then, like a fire, into the ages of the ages of the ages. Well, that just pretty much brings us to the invitation. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes?
I have, I cannot read your hearts. But if you are here, without Christ, you know it. You know it. Now the question is, knowing it, can you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit? And can you hear in your heart the call of God? If so, then you must respond. We come together and we worship the risen Christ because of what he has eternally done for us as our Savior. I hope and pray that if you are here without Christ, you don't leave that way. So, here's what the Bible says. You should admit that you're a sinner just in prayer in your heart, just before God. And you must believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the only one. And then you must call on him to be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the invitation is for you. You can, you can come to me and let me pray with you before the service is over. Or as you leave, there are deacons and their wives in rooms waiting to pray for you and with you. You may want to do it that way. Maybe you're here. You're already a believer, already a Christian, and God leads you to come in this congregation. You can come to me and Share that with me and I can pray with you or you can speak to the deacons and their wives about it as you exit. Either way, we'll take care of all of the details for you to come into this congregation. Father God in heaven, Lord, bless this invitation and use it for your glory as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one verse, okay?